Kaya Mishabha Varamaks Maharaj Gacharya Sada Sisvit AC Bhaktivedanta Samsara Prabhupada Ki Jai Amajar Hardless Tarko Ki Jai Premsago Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Asagor Bhaktivedanta Ki Jai Sri Sri Radha Krishna Gopa Gopita Shamakunda Radha Kunda Gidi Govardhan Ki Jai Sri Vandavan Dham Ki Jai Nevadam Ki Jai Gangjamana Tosi Bhakti Devi Ki Jai Ananda Koti Vaishnava Vrindiki Jai Samavetta Bhakti Vrindiki Jai Go Prevenandi All glories to some of the bodies All glories to some of the bodies All glories to some of the bodies All glories to Sri Guru and Sri Guranga Glories to Srila Prabhupada Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Nama Om Vishnu Banaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Shimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Nitinamane Namaste Saraswata Deve Gauravani Prachadane Nirvasesha Shunyamadi Pasachadesha Tadane Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Sri Vasudhi Gaurabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Reading from Srimad Bhavan Kanda 7 Chapter 4 Verse 45 Putran Viprati Kulan Svan Pitara Putra Vatsala Upalabhante Sikshartam Naivagham Aparoyata
Putran, sons, be pratikulan, who act against the will of the Father, Svan, their own, Pitara, fathers, Putra, Vatsala, being very affectionate to the children, Upala Bhante, chastise, Shikshartam, to teach them lessons, Na, not, Eva, indeed, Agam, punishment, Apara, an enemy, Yata, like. Translation of father and mother are always affectionate to their children. When the children are disobedient, the parents chastise them, not due to enmity, but only for the child's instruction and welfare. How did Hranika Sipu, the father of Prahlad Maharaj, chastise such a noble son? This is what I am eager to know. Text 46. Maharaj Yudhisthira further inquired, how is it possible for a father to be so violent towards an exalted son who was obedient, well-behaved, and respectful to his father? O oh, Brahmana, O oh, Master, I have never heard of such a contradiction as an affectionate father's punishing his noble son with the intention of killing him. Kindly dissipate our doubts in this regard. Purport. In the history of human society, an affectionate father is rarely found to chastise a noble and devoted son. Therefore, Maharaj Yudhisthira wanted Narada Muni to dissipate his doubt. Thus in the Bhaktivedanta purports of the seventh canto, fourth chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam entitled, Hiranikasipu terrorizes the universe. As I mentioned previously, uh, the world, uh, human beings may be divided into two categories, the devotees and the demons. And that's particularly made uh, evident in this particular canto where we have the uh, conflict between uh, Hiranikasipu and his own son. So Prahlad is the great devotee and Hiranikasipu is the demon. So there is, looks like a contradiction. Why would the father uh, hate his son so much? Why would he punish him? Uh, because a father should naturally be affectionate towards his son. And as stated here, you would punish only to give instructions, not otherwise. Yeah? And it's only an enemy that would really punish in a very uh, vile way. But yet we see that Hranikasipu uh, was acting so violently towards his own son. How is it possible? Well, the answer, of course, is he obviously didn't have affection for his son. <laughs> otherwise, why would he do this? <laughs> So, but then why would he not have affection for the son? It's natural to have affection for your children. Eh? And this is also a rasa in the spiritual world. We have Vatsalya rasa. So it's a type of eternal love also where you act as a parent for the Supreme Lord and there's a natural type of affectionate relationship uh, of a parent guarding the children. So we have the <coughs> reflection of that in the material world with um, material relationships. And in general, the parents do act for the benefit of the children. And they try to protect them in all cases. At the same time, they do have to teach them. So they may punish them sometimes. So, but they never act in such a way 
to injure or damage the children with malicious intent. How is it? But yet, it's possible. And we see this is a prime example of it. <clears throat> this is a big case. But we also find examples in the world. Um, this is an ancient example. <laughs> we'll find so many examples in the modern world on another scale where a parents treat their children badly or whatever. So it's also there. So it's not that this is the only case in the whole history of the human race or in the day of Brahma that we have a, 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 a evil father punishing his children. No, it takes place all the time, even in the modern world we find this, or even more so. Uh, but at the same time, it looks a bit unnatural. So why would the father have such hatred of his own children when he's supposed to usually has a natural affection? Huh? So, ultimately the answer is because uh, in the material world, affection is there, and generally we <clears throat> think of that as a good quality, but there's always an element of self-interest there in any relationship. Huh? And uh, no matter how pure it is, there's always a little bit of self-interest involved. So that's why the material relationships ultimately are not perfect. Huh? So as we understand, philosophically speaking, uh, we're in the material world because we want to be the enjoyer. So though we do have affectionate relationships, there's always a tinge of, uh, I have a nice affectionate relationship, but I want to get some enjoyment out of it. That is, as long as we're in the material world, that has to be there. It's, there's no perfect relationship. Huh? <coughs> uh, so, uh, in the case of um, uh, Harani Kasipu, of course, uh, he's not an ordinary person with ordinary ignorance. Uh, he's a great demon, so that means he's even covered more by ignorance. So, uh, therefore, his uh, affection is always motivated by his own personal, um, let's say, desires. Uh, so we see that of course, Hiranyakasipu was trying to be the supreme person in the universe, so that was his desire. If he has affection for children or whatever and he produces children, fine, but that's always secondary. And if the children don't agree with his own idea of being the most powerful person in the world and somehow they counteract that, then he's not going to have affection for them at all. He'll sacrifice that affection for this, his own idea. And he may even persecute them in order to have his uh, wishes fulfilled, that he be the greatest person in the universe. So that's exactly what happened. Uh, Prahlad kept saying, no, 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 you're not supreme, Vishnu's supreme. <laughs> and this was exactly what he didn't want to hear. He didn't want Vishnu to be supreme. Vishnu was his enemy. He wanted to be supreme. He wanted to conquer Vishnu. So if his child keeps saying, no, no, you're not supreme. This, is, this person's better than you are. Then naturally, he won't have affection for him because it damages his own uh, ego. Huh? So this is the problem of our relationships in this material world. Uh, they have this tinge of self-interest in them. And at a certain point, then, that self-interest may take over. And fortunately, uh, people, normal people, won't have that self-interest and affectionate relationship so prominent. So therefore, the affectionate relationship can go on. But if the person does have very strong personal motives in all of his dealings, whatever, then all of his affectionate relationships will be 
a sham. <laughs> they would be all exploitative, only for his own benefit, ultimately. Yeah? So that's the case of Ranyakasipu. Why did he, why would he persecute his son who was so ideal, etc., and not show fatherly affection? Why? Because it didn't meet his own motivations. It didn't fulfill his own desire to be the greatest person ever existing. <laughs> In fact, Prahlad was the opposite. He challenged him at every step. So therefore, naturally, he had no affection for him. Huh. So this, of course, is an extreme example. And uh, most people can establish affectionate relationships so that the, we can say the self-interest is somewhat minimized and it's not made so prominent. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, it's always there as long as we're in the material world. And therefore, material relationships can never be ultimately pure and successful. So we try to do that, and thus we have all sorts of fictional stories and stuff to try to idealize love, but ultimately there's always some fault in it, and it ends in tragedy somewhere or other. Huh? Uh, but we should not give up hope because there is ideal relationships. But it has to be based on no motivation at all. So this is what we call uttama bhakti or pure bhakti. And what we, we call this anyabhalashita uh, shunya, no other desire. Uh, so that means all the desires for ourself are absent and the only desire is to serve the object of love. But that's a little bit impossible in the material world because everybody's got their own ego. <laughs> and you're always going to find some fault in that person. So you can say, I'm not going to surrender to you and do everything for you. I want something too. I don't trust you completely. No perfect object of love in the material world. But there is the perfect object of love that is the Supreme Lord. And of all these forms of the Supreme Lord, Krishna is the ideal form of love. He is the perfect object of love for everyone. Yeah? And thus, one can have all sorts of relationships of love with Krishna, which aren't manifest in the other forms, even of Vishnu, etc. So we get Vatsalya Rasa and Madhurya Rasa and Sakya Rasa and Dasya Rasa and Santa Rasa. We get all the Rasas manifested in a very wonderful way in relationship with Krishna, with no motivation on part of oneself. That's all pure love. Huh? So, therefore we can have a perfect relationship of love, but it has to be directed to the ideal person, that is Supreme Lord, and especially Krishna. And then, we can uh, have that affectionate relationship, and uh, it can be completely satisfying, and it is eternal. And if we don't have Supreme Lord as the object of affection, we have some other object of affection, that means ultimately there's going to be some self-motivation there, some other self-interest, self and it won't be perfect, and therefore it will fail ultimately. So this is the very principle of uh, bhakti, that we're trying to cultivate a, an affection, a positive, a pure, affectionate relationship with the Supreme Lord because he is the most attractive, the most affectionate, with all ideal qualities, with ideal response to everything. Huh? And 
the, that relationship is satisfying. So this is what we call the nitya dharma of the jiva. This is the eternal nature of the jiva to have a, an affectionate relationship with the Supreme Lord. And ultimately called that prema. And the relationships we establish in the material world are not nitya. They are temporary dharmas. Uh, so that is why uh, Bhagavatam and especially Chaitanya as I mentioned, uh, the Lord Chaitanya, he criticizes all these dharmas, etc. And even Krishna Bhagavad Gita says, give up all dharmas, etc. Huh? So within that dharma, of course, we do have all of this, okay, parents should raise children, should be affectionate to the children, etc. Uh, have, you know, affectionate relationships, etc. All this, you know, uh, we have marriage ceremonies, and in marriage ceremonies they say, uh, this was the Kama Studios there, and that, <laughs> praising Kama, <laughs> love, and have ten children, etc. So there's a praise for, you know, producing families and having family life, and then Grihasta is the ideal ashram, etc. All these praises are there. So it's okay. Material world, but ultimately, then Lord Chaitanya and Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita, they reject everything. <laughs> Why? Because ultimately, there is always this trace of fault in it, and it's never going to be completely satisfying. Okay? So, the only solution to that is to have the direct relationship with the Supreme Lord. That's the Nitya Dharma. Everything else is temporary Dharma. Okay? Uh, it's, it's not the natural Dharma. Huh? It's like the natural quality of water is to be nice liquid, you taste it, it tastes nice and quenches your thirst. But there's another state of water, it becomes ice. It's not the same, you can't drink it. <laughs> what won't quench your thirst, <laughs> it will freeze you. Huh? So, uh, the jiva is like that, he has the natural dharma, but unfortunately, under ignorance, everything is transformed and his dharma becomes something completely different. It's like ice instead of water. <laughs> So the natural tendency is prema. And we get satisfied with that, get bliss eternally. Covered by ignorance, we get the opposite. So then we get kama, lust manifested in the material world. And then from that we get all sorts of things like anger, greed, etc. coming out. So uh, we get a, a similarity, but great difference also. Yeah. So, the whole process of bhakti, as I said, is the nitya, cultivating the nitya dharma uh, to cultivate the loving relationship with the Supreme Lord, which is our eternal and natural position by which we can get eternal bliss. But then we have the opposite there. We have the whole material pulling us in the other direction with ignorance and lust, etc., kama, uh, covering us over. Yeah. So, uh, Somehow Krishna understands the stubborn nature of the jiva to enjoy on his own. Uh, nevertheless, he provides us methods of gradually becoming detached from all of this and converting that kama into prema through the process of sadhana bhakti. So that's the hope for the jiva. We see the other yogas don't do that. Karma yoga is not, his goal is not to produce prema. Unconditional love for Krishna. <laughs> it's arta, dharma, kama. Huh? And what is jnana yoga? Liberation, okay. Get free of bond, material bondage. 
But again, there's, there's no affectionate relationship established with anything. There's no relationship with anything. <laughs> that's, uh, cut off the material bondage, and that's it. No, no attraction to anything in the material world. Give up your false ego. Finish. That's liberation. Well, it's good because it's, you're free from the suffering, but it's not the eternal dharma of the jiva. It's not satisfying to the jiva because there isn't that uh, relationship of love and the consequent bliss that results. Uh, so, therefore, that's why Krishna says, give up all dharmas, and just surrender to Krishna. And then, we establish that proper dharma. Yeah. So, everybody in the material world is uh, looking for uh, happiness. Uh, if we're in the lowest stage, happiness is existing. Happiness is food. Happiness is a little comfort for your body. That's, so, that's the Varnashram system provides that. Karma Yoga provides that. Uh, when we get a little more raised up into sattva and then we begin to question that. This is all temporary. Why do I have to do that? Huh? And then we seek satisfaction in the atma, be satisfied in the atma. This becomes atma again, uh, jnana yoga, etc. Huh? Stage, there are stages, uh, gradual stages of development, so they're accepted in that sense in the Vedas, but they don't establish that relationship, that eternal relationship of the jiva with Krishna. So therefore, they're rejected ultimately. And we do have to practice sadhana bhakti to get that relationship of prema. Huh? Then, we get the actual relationships that are the natural relationships which are eternal instead of the temporary relationships here. Huh? So as long as we're in the material world, to some degree we are, touched, we are stuck in our material body and we have relationships with everybody. So. That is also tolerated, the process of bhakti is such that everybody can do bhakti, even if he has great attachments, not too much attachments, but some attachments are there. And through the process of bhakti, gradually we evolve, we start developing that natural, eternal dharma. And when that happens, then we become more and more detached from everything in the world. So this is what Bhaktivinoda Thakur calls uh, sahaja vairagya, natural detachment. Not by just renouncing everything, but by doing bhakti. And then naturally, because of attraction to Krishna, one becomes detached from everything else in the material world. So, while we're in the material world, therefore, we don't have to give up everything. But, along with everything, we practice bhakti. And through that, gradually, we become more and more detached from everything else. And unfavorable elements dissipate. So, that's the practice which is recommended for us. We don't have to give up everything completely, but at the same time, we do have to steadily practice the bhakti to progress nicely so that gradually the material attachments start decreasing, decreasing, decreasing. So that's the main element of that uh, is being taught in the Bhagavad Gita. Of course, the other factor is that nice to establish a relationship with the Supreme Lord because he has all wonderful qualities, but Krishna manifests all the wonderful qualities in the most spectacular form, so therefore he's more attractive. <laughs> and therefore we recommend everybody worship Krishna instead of any other form of God. <laughs> so we say bhakti, bhakti to Krishna. As Krishna says at the end of Bhagavad Gita, mam ekam sharanam raja, surrender only to me, nobody else. <laughs> so uh, this is one of the points of Bhagavatam, which we get to eventually when we get to the 10th canto that the form of Krishna is especially attractive because all those relationships 
manifest nicely where they do not manifest in the other forms of God so nicely, such as Vatsalya Rasa with Vishnu does not really exist. <laughs> Sakya Rasa may be very limited, huh? and basically is Dasya, whatever. With Krishna, all the Rasas manifest in a very spectacular way, so you can be satisfied with any relationship with Krishna. Huh? So uh, the Rasas are attractive because individuals have different attractions for how they want to relate with the Lord. And um, Krishna is also all most beautiful, so he's attractive to everybody. He's attractive as the son of Mother Yasoda, he's attractive as the friend of Subha, he's attractive as the lover of the gopis, etc. So he's attractive to all, uh, within all rasas, in a very wonderful way, without the restriction of thinking he's Supreme Lord. Yeah? Therefore, he doesn't dress up with robes and sit on a throne, he runs around in the fields with the cowherd boys instead. <laughs> Dressing up like a, an actor, a wrestler, or whatever, and playing around. Huh? So it's a very informal type of appearance, but it invokes the highest type of uh, love. Huh? So therefore, the ultimately, uh, bhakti is very good, but bhakti to Krishna is the recommendation of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Huh? After going through all these different forms of the Lord, like Nishramadeva and Matsya and Kurma and Varaha, etc., Prishnigarbha, all forms of the Lord and also, you know, attractive. Uh, um, Prahlad has attraction to Nishimadev. Dhruva had attraction to Prishnigarbha, etc. So uh, devotees have different attractions, but ultimately the highest attraction is Krishna. So that's why we are worshipping Krishna here. <laughs> as the, the highest form of attraction for everybody. And that's recommended for the people of Kali Yuga who are so overcome by material energy, so they need the most attractive thing to get them out of Maya. So therefore we have Krishna for that. Okay, any question there? Uh. Was it karma or was it kama that's transformed into prema? Kama. Through yeah. Kama. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, and, uh, and, and the question was, um, you know, how it's mentioned that by, by serving Krishna that all the living entities are satisfied. Um, and um, so in case of Prahlad Maharaj, he's, he's trying to serve Krishna. How is it that, that he's getting such an opposition? Uh, for his practice of devotion service. And, and sometimes it happens for us also, like when we are practicing <laughs> and our friends yeah. or family might get really unfavorable to our practice. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the, uh, one of the qualities of bhakti is subhada, second quality in subhada, one of it is that here, all the living uh, entities become affectionate to the devotee. So that's a general statement. Obviously, the demons aren't affectionate towards devotees. <laughs> like they're not affectionate towards the Lord also. So they're, they're obviously the devotees, they don't have any affection. But we can say that the neutral living entities, yes. Yeah. So example of that, of course, is Lord Chaitanya in the Jarikan forest and all the animals are starting. <laughs> they're not ferocious, they're not trying to attack him, they're actually dancing and singing along with him instead. So the devotee is such that he has all wonderful qualities and nobody feels threatened by him. Uh, and they feel, have great trust in the devotee. So therefore, they, they never try to attack him or do anything like that. That's just general devotees, or living entities. But then we do have the, the great demons. So these, these are the problems, <laughs> the problematic people. 
So that's why we get the conflict between the demons and the devotees going on in the universe eternally, because we do have some abnormal living entities who have great hatred of the Lord and the devotees. So that's what creates the big problem in the universe. So we can't, uh, the devotee is there, but then as we see with Prahlad, he's a great devotee, but Father's a great demon, so no effect. When Krishna comes in the material world, he is so wonderful, attractive, but the demons don't see him like that. They see him as a great enemy, and they try to kill him. Purana tries to kill him. Sakurasura tries to kill him. Trendavarta tries to kill him. So, yeah. uh, even for the Supreme Lord, what to speak of the devotees, you know, when, devote, when demons see, they, they have no attraction at all, even to the Supreme Lord. <laughs> So, Kama turning to Prema, that's mentioned in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Uh, of course, Kama is very negative, it's, it's covered by ignorance, so it's actually not the same thing. But there is an element there, that is, Kama is trying to establish a relationship, of course, with yourself at the center, that's the problem. <laughs> and through that relationship, one hopes to get some satisfaction. The negative aspect, of course, is it's self-interested. No recognition of anyone except the self as the enjoyer. Hmm? Prema is also uh, establishing a relationship. That's what is common between them, so they can be transformed in that sense. But the object is not the self at all. It is Supreme Lord, spiritual object, not a material object, not the self. Yeah? So therefore the way you transform that is to funnel the desire no other desire, only the desire is there, but the desires serve Krishna, not to get something for yourself. So that's how it gets transformed. So the relationship gets transformed by transferring the object of love from the self to the Krishna without any other desires. Hmm. We have affection, there will be a matter of self-interest in there. So even the relationships that we have with devotees, is that also not pure or is it on a spiritual platform like oh. we have with Lord Krishna? Yeah, well, uh, of course in the material world even the devotees have some covering of ignorance because we're doing sadhana bhakti, but ideally, even in the spiritual world, we do have relationships between devotees also, so that's pure. Yeah. Um, so in nectar devotion there, of course, the definition of bhakti is to establish a Krishna anusilanam, establish a relationship with Krishna, cultivate a relationship with Krishna favorably, anukuli in a Krishna anusilanam. Huh? But then commentary is, yes, establish a relationship with Krishna. Then not only Krishna, it could be with any form of the Lord, Nishimadev or uh, Varaha or any Vishnu or whatever. And then additionally, it could also mean devotees. <laughs> so cultivating a relationship with devotees is also part of this definition of uttama bhakti or pure bhakti. Huh? Uh, but of course, we're not cultivating a relationship on the material level. We're cultivating the relationship because they're also devotees of the Lord. Yeah? And of course, serving devotees and uh, associating with devotees is one of the main elements of bhakti. So therefore, that's a spiritual activity, not a material activity. It may have a material element because we are impure. So we may like to associate because we're associating for the material benefits or whatever like that. So that's there as well, but in its pure form, then it is spiritual. 
and it's very beneficial for the jiva to have that relationship. In spiritual world, obviously nobody's alone. Uh, when Krishna goes out in the fields, he has the cowherd boys, and it's discussed that, okay, he's a number, I think, Asankhya says. But he says, then I think Jiva Goswami analyzes a number. It means like 20 billion, <laughs> 20 billion cowherd boys are with Krishna going to the fields. <laughs> and similarly, the gopis are Asankhya, and there's like 3 billion gopis or something in the Ras Lila. <laughs> so nobody's alone there, everybody's alone. And they're relating with each other. So we see the gopis are in groups. They're called yutas, or groups. And they're all the similar types of gopis together making their plans and having friendships, etc., like that. Of course, we have Radha, Krishna, and the Asasakis, but it's a bigger group than that, actually, with the eight primary gopis. So they're one group with Radha. Yeah? And they're all friendly with each other, and they help each other. Yeah? So they have relationships, interrelationships. The cowherd boys have relationships with each other also. Hmm? But ultimately, it's all based on everybody's related to Krishna. Thank you. Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank you for the nice class. Um, we understand from this pastime that um, before Harani Kachapu, you know, he, the incarnation was um, Vijay and Ajay. Yeah. And this was Krishna's arrangement or Narayan's arrangement mm -hmm. for them to take a demon birth so he can yeah. support them in like fighting. Yeah. But then in this incarnation, we can see that he's not just a regular demon like Putana or Trinavrata where he's just, they're just you know, solely attacking Krishna, but he's actually creating a creating a great offense to exalted personality like Prahlad. Mm -hmm. So is that, you know, the Lord's arrangement for the deem for Hirani Kashavu to commit such a great offense against a, yeah. a demon? Yeah. So yeah, ultimately, yes, in the case of Jaya and Vijaya falling in the material world, obviously that's all an arrangement of the Supreme Lord, ultimately. Uh, but it was there his fulfillment of desire, Jaya and Vijaya, because they wanted to take the role of demons because nobody was good enough <laughs> to play the role of demons to fight with the Supreme Lord. So then he made that arrangement for them and fulfilled their desire. Uh, but we should not think that this is like an or a daily affair every day. Jai and Vijay start thinking, well, I want to fight with Krishna again, <laughs> our Supreme Lord, and then they fall out and they get covered over and then they start acting like this. It's, it seems to be a one-time affair. So normally there is, you know, Hranikastipu, but they're not Jai and Vijay, they're just big demons. So in that case, then, it's, okay, the, the demon attacks the devotee, but he's not actually a great devotee of the Lord. He's just a big demon, that's all. So when Jai and Vijay take that role, yeah, they are special cases. But, and they get covered over in order to act the role. So we can say it's all a lesson that the Lord arranges. But in other, other uh, days of Brahma, then it's, it's actual demons that take the role. Um. Why is there so much emphasis on learning and renunciation? For us? Sorry? For us? Uh, for, yeah, for devotees sometimes, you know, um, they'll emphasize renunciation as being a symptom of advancement. Or renunciation. Uh -huh. And, you know, not having lots of knowing lots of slokas is a sign of advancement because you know so much. Oh, okay. Whereas um, sometimes the the bhakti is, or even 
the sensitivity in relationships is missing. It becomes then okay. somewhat clinical and intellectual <laughs> rather than devotional. Yeah, well, as uh, Ruva Goswami says, uh, jnana and vairagya are not angas of bhakti. They may be a little favorable in the beginning, but then ultimately not because they dry up the heart. <laughs> so we emphasize the jnana and vairagya aspects too much then our relationship with Krishna and even with devotees is going to be a little bit shallow or dry or whatever like that. So renunciation, of course, means renouncing everything. <laughs> so we become very detached. So then we become detached from everybody. <laughs> so therefore the affection for devotees starts getting detachment also. So we have to be careful of that type of detachment. And that can also obviously lead to into impersonal type of uh, you know, liberation, etc. And the jnana aspect is related to that because um, jnana, with capital letters that we, we don't like so much, that's the jnana of understanding you're not the body, I am atma, I am different from the body, and this also leads to eventually to liberation. Huh? So, and it's, then that's related to detachment. I'm, the, I'm not the body, I am atma, therefore I should be detached from everything. So the jnana and vairagya go together and they support each other. <laughs> But, as Krishna says, automatically, in Bhagavatam it says, these naturally manifest with bhakti itself. They don't have to cultivate them. But they manifest in a different way. Huh? So as you become more attached to Krishna by advancement in devotional service, naturally you're detached from everything else because Krishna is becoming the center of your attachments and everything in the material world and, and bodily identification gets weaker and weaker and weaker. So in that sense, the vairagya naturally develops with the progress of bhakti. So we don't have to try to cultivate vairagya as such. And if we do that, then we're maybe going in the wrong direction and hardening the heart and becoming detached even from devotees <laughs> and from Krishna. Huh? Uh, so, um, and as for knowledge, yes, knowledge is good, um, but not that impersonal knowledge. Huh? Knowledge of bhakti is good, knowledge of our philosophical knowledge that I'm a Jiva, Krishna Supreme Lord, this Sambandagan is very necessary for pure bhakti. So that's why we have books and Prabhupada translated everything. And unlike many modern spiritual movements, which don't have any scripture at all, we have a very great emphasis on scripture, even more than other standards. Some Pradayas, like I say, you know, they're, they're spiritual and coming from India, but they don't really emphasize the scripture so much. But we are constantly emphasizing. Huh? Uh, so then we may think, well, oh, that's also jnana, too much jnana, etc. Uh, it can be, if we take it from the wrong attitude, that is, we use it academically, more or less, intellectually, and not for developing our bhakti. Huh? Just as you may study and study to get a degree from the college, <laughs> a degree in what, Godia literature or something, so you study and study <laughs> and write a PhD. But it's all like, you know, you're just, you know, dealing with, you know, logical concepts there. Huh? But, but the real purpose of our study is to actually inc increase our bhakti, <laughs> our devotion to Krishna. So it's a uh, the intention of the study is also important, in other words. Uh, if we emphasize too much, then it becomes more like academic. And, but if we have balanced it out with our own practice and use it for developing our understanding of Krishna and our relationship with Krishna, then it becomes very favorable for us. Huh? And necessary also in order to attain the goal. So it has to be done properly, that type of jnana. Hmm.
Um, in the Shad uh, Goswami Ashtakam, in the first verse, it says that the Goswamis were dear to everybody. <laughs> um, well, they were equal to everybody, dearer, dearer, well. Janol. But they were also liked by everybody. Oh, yeah. they, they had a lot of. So even though they were renounced, they still didn't. They still. They were still f friendly with everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's like uh, the the proper renunciation. The other renunciations is don't talk to anybody, don't associate with anybody, etc. But we see in the case of the Goswamis, yes, they were renounced from the cells. They weren't attached to food or shelter or everything, but. Uh, they related with everybody, the villagers, with the villagers. They would go around to the different villages and they would sit there and people would ask questions, they would answer. And they, the villagers were very affectionate. They would give them everything. They would give them their food and shelter and whatever. They had very, very affectionate relationships with the local people, even though they're just villagers, you know. So uh, that, in other words, they're, they, they have a relationship based on you know, the devotion itself. And trying to help everybody by giving spiritual advice to everybody, so they were they had affection for everybody. It was manifested not by just you know superficial relationships, but by you know trying to give some guidance to them spiritually, so they could advance. And I, I think you see that with Srila Prabhupada as well. He was a sannyasi, mm. and so in that regard, very you know renounced. Yeah. But at the same time, he was loved by everybody, and he showed affection to yeah, everyone. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he wasn't renounced in one sense because he was well, dealing yeah. with everybody. He, <laughs> he, he was seen as a friend of everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's probably the criticism. You're not renounced enough. You're, you're <laughs> relating with people. <laughs> you're living in the world. You're flying in airplanes. You're riding in cars. You're doing all this. <laughs> you should be renounced, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they, they do this because they're trying to preach to people. They have mercy to people like Prahlad. And they're trying to give mercy to everyone. Yeah. There's the, the story of um, Prabhupada walking in um, John Lennon's estate and he'd get gravel in his boots. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jamuna, he would lean on Jamuna and she would take off his shoe, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. get rid of the and yeah. Guru Das was taking pictures. Oh, okay. And Prabhupada said, don't publish these pi pictures. <laughs> My godbrothers won't understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they wrote letters in India also criticizing, why you do this, why you do that, you know. <laughs> so, but still there's that emphasis on Vairagya. You know, yeah. that's a sign of advancement. Uh, well, it is a sign because you're obviously the Goswamis were, you know, in that sense, Vairagya, they didn't have any attachment to their bodies at all. So in that sense, they're Vairagyas. But that's a natural result of their attachment to Krishna. It's not they're cultivating something separately. So that's a symptom. As you see in the um, Nectar Devotion, the, the symptoms are Anubhavas of Bhava is, okay, <laughs> they're not really, they're so attached to Krishna, they're not attached to anything in the material world. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about developing our relationship and love for Krishna. I was just wondering um, about Lord Chaitanya because he's the Yuga avatar mm -hmm. and the Bhakta Shastris constantly remind us and tell us that 
Lord Chaitanya is the topmost form of the personality of Godhead. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't, but we don't talk so much about Lord Chaitanya in our relationship with Lord Chaitanya. So I was just wondering, mm-hmm. what's the best way to worship Lord Chaitanya? Does he like to be worshipped as the Supreme Lord, or yeah. should we worship him as in the mood of devotee? Or? Yeah. So, um, as Chaitanya Charitamrita explains, actually, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is non-different from Krishna. Now, all the forms of God are God, and it's only one God, but then, you know, we put Krishna on top because he manifests all the wonderful four, you know, qualities, etc. So, he is put in a special position. He's Swayam Bhagavan, and he's like, he's the cause of all causes, except the topmost. Other than the other forms manifest less, so they're put in a lesser position. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is non-different from Krishna. He is Krishna within the mood of Radha. So externally gold and internally he's Krishna. <laughs> so he's non-different. So he's also in the topmost position. So now in Bhagavatam, Krishna is emphasized, of course, because he's Swayam Bhagavan. But then we find that we can only understand Krishna, that topmost personality, and his love uh, through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu because he is the person that comes in Kali Yuga to deliver Krishna and Radha to us so we, we, we can't get to Krishna unless we go through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu because he can do that, he can give it because he is not different from Krishna but then he's also different from Krishna because he's got the mood of the devotee that is Radha and he's also being more merciful than Krishna as Radha is more merciful than Krishna so it's through him that we can actually understand Krishna and especially Radha and Krishna through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, so therefore we have to give that worship to him as well as worshipping Krishna. <laughs> hmm? So that is why we do have Radha Krishna, we also have Lord Chaitanya there <laughs> in the temple also worshipping him. Hmm? So they're equally worshipped. Krishna does Kavura says if you worship Radha and Krishna without worshiping Lord Chaitanya. Impossible. You can't get to him, you can't get to him in other words unless you worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he is our means. Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank you for the class. Um, I just wanted to ask, what is the difference between the Mayavad philosophy and the impersonalist? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Mayavad is one type of impersonalism. All impersonalism will say ultimately that supreme entity that we realize has no form, qualities, and activities, and we kind of merge into him, and the jiva just kind of loses identity. And we become very peaceful, free of karma, free of ignorance, etc. And we reach a state of peace. So they all agree to that. Uh, but the Mayavad philosophy of Shankaracharya says that other than Brahman, nothing exists. World does not exist. Jiva does not exist. It's all illusory. <laughs> and we call it Mayavad. Propounding the theory of Maya. Everything is illusion except the one Brahman. Yeah? So then they ask this, well, 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 we're in the material world, we see things, oh, this is all illusion. So then the whole process is to get rid of the illusion by knowledge. Once we get the knowledge, we become Brahman. So that oneness, we return to the oneness. But this state of being many in the world, this is all illusory. So that's why we call it Mayavad. Other impersonalists may not say that. This the world is real, you know, Brahman is there, Jiva is real. So we just give the jiva realized Brahman, that's the perfection. But they don't say the world is unreal or the jiva is unreal. Hmm? Uh, like, uh, uh, 
that is Nyaya philosophy, for instance, Gautama's philosophy. He says, world is there, real. Jiva is real. Brahman is real. But Mayavad philosophy, no, only Brahman is real. Jiva doesn't exist, world does not exist. <laughs> so that's the difference. Okay, cool. Thank you, Maharaj. It's a philosophical distance, the uh, difference. The end result is the same, they all merge in Brahman. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the philosophical difference is there whether the world is real or unreal, whether jiva is real or unreal. That's all. But in the altar of the immersion of Brahman. <laughs> and even the form of Krishna is illusion. Oh yeah, for the Mayavadis, yeah. Well, even for the other impersonalists, yes, ultimately um, only the Brahman is the highest thing. Everything else is conditional. And particularly Mayavad philosophy, they say that they'll accept the form of Krishna or Vishnu, but they are also part of Maya. They are manifestations of Sattva Gun. And Sattva Gun also is Maya, but it's also illusory. It's ultimately illusory. But it's useful in the material world to raise us through the Gunas. So we can worship those entities to get to Sattva Gun. Then we give up Sattva Gun and we give up all the Gunas. We give up Prakriti because it's illusory and then we become Brahman. <laughs> So in that sense, we say they're also offensive because they reject the form of the Lord. So, the form of the Lord's illusory, so that becomes offensive. Yeah. So Acharyas also say that ultimately, if you have that offense, you cannot actually get liberation even. Because to get liberation, you need the mercy of the Lord. Otherwise, you can't get it. So if you really want to get liberation, you do have to accept the form of the Lord and worship him a little bit with a desire for liberation. And he'll give it to you. But if you don't accept that, say, oh, it's all nonsense, he's illusory, etc., then you don't even get liberation. No mercy. Okay. Hare Krishna.